0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Raslan, today, we have, um, he is a producer at BFM, and he is Mikey Gong.
1: Hi, Cam. Great to be back here again.
0: Great to have you. And he is a, uh, he's hes writer, author, he's an actor and a director. He is Naam Murad.
2: Permission to come aboard, Captain. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh great to have you and uh this week's episode is the what ifs uh episode uh inspired by mikey's um topic we the the rest of us had to try and really step up our game because topic number one is um what if uh you were given uh, 100 million us dollars to make a movie what movie would you make Topic number two is what if cities could move, and maybe they already have. And finally, topic number three is what if you could change one thing from Malaysian history, what would it be? So, uh, Mikey, you've suddenly become a very rich man since last we spoke, and you have 100 million US dollars to hand out to make a movie. Um, What are you going to do?
1: Personally, I actually I go, go to, to Brazil space. and retire, <laughs> Yeah. but if I had to make it, okay, so, <laughs> okay. Now, what inspired this topic was, was this, Cam, in Malaysia, we have some great movies, but we're always conscious of the budget. I mean, our biggest uh, budgeted movie to date is Pascal, which costs 10 million ringgit to make, and I believe that's uh, another movie called Catcher, which is in the works, and that's budgeted to be 15 million ringgit, and that's considered to be uh, the largest ever from Malaysia. But consider this, Avengers Endgame costs 400 million US dollars to make, right? I was just thinking, what if we had a fraction of that, you know, say 100 million euros? What kind of movie would you make with that kind of budget, Cam? Nah. Oh
2: okay. no, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, Mikey, you're going to hold us in suspense and tell us yours last then, okay? So Nah, why don't you go first?
2: Yeah, well, actually, I'd like to make a small correction. I think Putri uh, Gudong Redang cost a bit more. It was 15 or 16 million. But that's because wow. they, had, they had a lot of production problems think, uh, way, way back. So, so yeah, that, that's kind of our ceiling for a movie. Well, I actually have unproduced scripts, <laughs> which don't even need 100 million. I mean, like 4 million USD would do my, my World War II horror flick and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, let's just go for, let, let's throw self-control to the wind. I mean, if I had 100 million USD, that's, that's you know mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe level. Um, Though I would find it very corny to do a, a Malaysian superhero. I, I don't have many ideas for a Malaysian superhero, but I've always liked alien invasion movies. So I would do an alien invasion movie and I would turn that thing around, the, the whole America saves the world thing. You know, I'd have these incredible alien invasion, great ships, um, grotesque aliens and everything. And America, China, Russia, all the superpowers try and they can't. And you find that the only thing... That the aliens are allergic, that can destroy the aliens like tempoya or something. Right? Like, like only out, right? that's, that's fermented um, for you, city slickers, and, and you know to, to. And so Malaysia becomes the, the the forefront. You know we we start creating weapons out of tempoya, and you know we have Malaysian heroes dug out of. Um, remember how in, in, in Independence Day it was the, the the basic heroes was. An Af- African American pilot and a smart IT Jewish guy. So you know you can do that. We can take Malaysians from all kinds of, you know, the the tamboyak farmer. And, you know, so all these quirky characters and they become the heroes of this this Malaysian Independence Day.
0: Yeah. Well, the question is, would I watch that? Of course, I'd watch that. That'd be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll pay money. Yeah.
2: you have to watch it.
1: Yes.
0: Well, let's let's see who Mikey's going to give the money to. You're going to give it to himself, obviously. My 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 idea would be: well, first of all, Mikey, obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your money and skim some off the top. Um, you understand? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, there will be a final thing. Eventually. Uh, yeah, eventually. Uh, but the maintenance is going to be terrible. But uh, aside from that, my one would be uh, history, obviously. Pre-European uh, colonial, I'd set it set it in like you know thirteen hundred. I'd want to recreate visions, images of the trade maritime history of Southeast Asia. I don't even know uh, if there'd be a plot. Uh, I think I think it would just be a succession of, of watching you know watching porcelain, a, a single bowl of porcelain being traded from hand to hand to hand from China across to um, Alexandria, and seeing all the different types of. Uh, I just want to recreate that world. I want you to be able to see what this Southeast Asian world looked like and the way people lived uh, before the
2: Europeans. It's completely CGI, right? Every, yes. I mean, like, a lot of it would be CGI. You've got to spend no, uh, a- No,
0: 100 million. I'm going to build ships. I mean, you know. Real working ships. Yeah. Absolutely. We're big fans of uh, Peter Weir's Master and Commander. Mm. And so I'm, I'm going to build yeah. ships and I'm going to build, you know, I'm gonna, yeah, no, no CGI. What are you talking about? Uh, so that's my idea so no problem go on mikey what is yours
1: okay all right my idea is corny it's going to involve three superheroes one malay one chinese one, <laughs> one indian and okay get this, and a little bit of political social statement here their powers only work if they can come together okay ah. all right okay <laughs> okay like voltron and so i'm going to mix up all the stereotypes so that's not have to make it make it more Racially yeah. acceptable. And they're facing an alien invasion. and Are uh, so oh, you sorry. just threw that in?
0: You just threw that in.
1: No, didn't I need mean to make up 100 million. I can't. <laughs> I can't run a superhero. They're gonna fight some somebody or something. They can't find it. Something big, right? 100 million is gonna big, be big, big and ugly. So no, actually not an alien. I was thinking was a mythical creature that arising from the
2: Malacca Straits. How about that? The merlion. The merlion, the merlion actually exists, oh, and the controlling it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you're so, taking over the whole of Southeast Asia with a giant Merlion. Exactly. But <laughs> so they have to connect
1: whole hand, and suddenly they become this uh, symbiotic superhero.
0: Yeah. Mikey, I got to say, I think you might struggle to get an international audience with that one.
1: Yeah, but it, 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 it
0: sounds a little bit. It's a bit too attuned to the Malaysian audience, and you know.
2: Scarlett Johansson as oh. the Nick Fury kind of character who gets them together. So so throwing tempoyak going to get me an
1: international
0: <laughs> audience? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you know, when you dub it for other markets, you you swap out tempoyak for whatever is culturally appropriate to, you know, uh, France or whatever.
2: <laughs> custard! <laughs> custard yeah. Yeah. It's just smelly custard. Yeah. custard.
0: Well, you know, well, great. I, lo- I look forward to... Um, I'm looking forward to the check, quite frankly. So you better know what you're gonna to do to get the money. So, yeah. So uh, so that's that. We move on to top number two. Another what if is what if cities could move and maybe they have. So when I mentioned this to to the two guys, they they were like, Oh, science fiction. Well it's not really science fiction. So I want to take us back actually to the early 1700s and in Sumatra that some uh, Dutch ships went up a river to visit a city probably to blow it up or or do something nasty Uh, they went up there and when they got to this city which is supposed to be 10,000 people the entire city was gone and um, it had actually moved it had moved 10 miles further upriver in order to get away from the Dutch in those days in Southeast Asia a city was not a permanent place really it could move none of the inhabitants were saying oh, i don't want to go i've got freehold uh, no i mean it would you know your your property had no value When Malacca was was taken by the Portuguese, the Malaccan people went off into the jungle and they waited, assuming that the Portuguese would leave and smash things up, steal some stuff, and then leave because that's what people did. But no, the Portuguese stayed and they they eventually would build things from brick and they made Malacca a permanent place with a port that eventually silted up because that's what happens around here. (laughs) But Malacca moved. Malacca still existed. It just moved to somewhere else. Those people, the traders, they just went somewhere else. And I wonder... You know, this, these are cities that are, are moving physically. But if we think about today, we three, we live in a place called Kuala Lumpur. But our three Kuala Lumpurs will be slightly different. And my Kuala Lumpur will be very radically different from some other guy out there who goes to different places, experiences different things, who consumes culture, etc., through the internet, perhaps, which is radically different from mine. You know, do we live in the same city? Do I even live in a place... Kuala Lumpur? Or am I actually living, you know, is my body existing here and I'm purchasing the food and, and I'm making my ringgit <laughs> stretch as best I can. But really, I am actually somewhere else. And and is really, that what's really, going to be I, the way for going forwards?
2: When was the last time, Cam, that you went into Kuala Lumpur, into the city? And, and, and mm. when you think about it, do you really need to go into the city to actually have well, your life? Most of your time within three or four kilometers of your neighborhood. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about it geographically, then that's well, your Kuala Lumpur.
0: Well, I actually did go into the city for the first time in like forever in order to go and buy my wife some chicken wings. And uh, when we got there on John Alor, John Alor was uh, inhabited by non malaysians really. It's, it's designed for other people. And so there was really, there was really nothing there for me. And uh, it was uh, pretty disappointing. <laughs> No, I don't know, Mikey. I, I, do you live in KL?
1: I live in PJ, but I used to work in KL for many years, and I spent a lot of time there. I have a very strange perception of KL. I love KL; it's a beautiful city at night. But I also have a slightly romanticized version of KL in my head, and it reads like a, a, like an art house movie and a, a noir movie. It's overlaid with a jazz track. It's all about. Um, People working and running food stalls, alleyways—that kind of grimmer side of KL. You know, I hate to say it; it's, it's not a part that I really want to <laughs> investigate any further than having that little romanticized view in my head. But yeah, you can see on KL. Eh? Mm, exactly.
0: I I know what you're saying, and I, and, I, and I and I I can picture that KL, and I wouldn't necessarily have a jazz soundtrack over it, but I understand why you would put it there. It is that sort of nostalgic kind of uh, feeling of. You know that kind of culture is a culture from seemingly from somewhere else mm. is perfectly entitled Ooh. to exist here, and that people are perfectly entitled to um to to uh, consume that.
1: It's it's a bit of a nineties KL, don't you think, uh Cam? I, I think uh, if you can remember what KL was like in the nineties and you too, so now nah, it it feels a little yeah yeah I,
2: I know what you mean when when KL was trying to create an identity of being very international city, and there was a lot of right. a lot of mm. a building, a lot of. Attempts to gentrify certain areas and all that, and and that was quite an interesting time. And there are still people who do that, who you know, like for example, that was when I think uh, Central Market became Mm. uh, something more upmarket. But you know, from from my mind, Cam, it's more, it's more like you know, to get back to that whole MCU thing, because I'm still thinking 100 million um, uh, (laughs) when 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 um, Odin said to Thor. Asgard is not a place; it's a people, and then um, a lot of the things that you're saying is like, it's like people do move, and sometimes it is by design. Like for example, the whole idea of Putrajaya was that and Cyberjaya is for people to move out of KL and a new administration centre, so they put everything there. So, but it just didn't work out. And but I know a lot of people who. Are KLites, they work in KL, but they live in Jandabayi, for example. There's, there's a whole community of, you know, very middle class type people who actually rooted in Jandabayi. But mm. KL is still KL to them. That's where they work. That's where they meet up with family and friends. And it's more like a movement of people, I think,
1: mm. um, yeah. rather
2: than the, the actual city. By the way, when, when you first said it, I was thinking of Mortal Engines, the the, the novels by... Philip Reeve, but that's something else altogether. Yeah
0: that, yeah, that that, that, that is. Uh, but I, that would cost 100 million. US yeah. Million. I think, though, that, I mean, me and me and Naa, I know that our parents didn't come from KL. They came from somewhere else already. There was already a movement into KL. I mean, I, I don't think Sorry, that Mike. my our parents' generation would, would say things like, "Oh, KL's not what it used to be. Uh, I think that's something that people our age and younger are entitled to do um, because... They moved in, and within a few generations, people are moving out. I mean, not just out to, mm-hmm. to, to, to the suburbs, I mean, out of the country altogether.
2: Mm. Yeah. You could say that Marble Arch is kind of Kuala Lumpur, too.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Kuala London. No, in I know. The
2: capital I, city I, is called MSD. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that certainly Malaysia, more than any other uh, country in Southeast Asia, is about movement. It's about, uh, you know, the concept that an entire city can disappear, and that you can you can you can take with you what you want of that place, and you can abandon it altogether, and you can you can start it somewhere else. I, I you know when people talk about brain drain in Malaysia, I I don't think we're we're actually meant to be terribly rooted in this place.
2: I have this I mean, like we been talking about deep history, we've talked a lot about you know I mean, like we've mentioned Malacca and Portuguese mm-hmm. and all that. The whole peninsula Malaysia let's not even talk about Sabah and Sarawak yet. The whole of peninsula of Malaysia has always been this back and forth of cultures and Mm. kingdoms and influences for you know I don't know maybe thousands of years and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. That's characteristic of uh, of what cities in
1: general where you have people coming in and going out and something I actually associate with the cities in the Nusantara region like uh, Singapore or Malacca or uh, you know when you front the city you get new cultures coming in and you get old cultures going out it's just the way things work.
0: Yeah I celebrate that i enjoy that uh we must move on though so so far we've spent 100 million us dollars and we've moved kale completely <laughs> uh, but in a moment we're going to take the opportunity to change one thing about malaysian history here on a bit of culture bfm 89.9 and we're back with myself karen raslan uh mikey gong and not Murad. and now uh that going to offer us the chance to change malaysian history
2: yeah if, if you like i mean i've always liked alternative history books and movies and stuff like that, and who, sometimes it's mixed up with fiction, like who, who can forget the 7% solution when, you know, Freud actually meets Sherlock Holmes and that, and I read a book a few years ago, it wasn't a very good book, but the premise was that immediately after World War II, America and Russia kind of, um, can't remember exactly what, but 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 got on a bad foot, you know, the like bad footing, and immediately a lot of American um, generals were suggesting that we better fight Russia now, and Patton was one of the ones who, who um, was was the most um dogged about that. And and this book talks about what if Patton didn't die, he just got injured, and then he pushed for fighting, um, the Russians straight away while we still can, while we still have allies and stuff like that. And the whole book was about what if, immediately after World War II, it was World War Three against the Russians. So so you know stuff like that. So I was just wondering. You know, this is, again, um, uh, inspired by Mikey's what-if ideas. What if you could change one thing in history, any point of Malaysian history up to yesterday, you know, all the way from thousands of years ago. One thing, and then what do you think that would do? And, you know, it could be a story, it could be just fantastical, it could be very serious. The only idea I have, and I just want to get you guys going, so <laughs> I don't really have an idea. My idea would be what if, let's just say, what if Napoleonic Wars went slightly differently and Cam would be able to say if this works or not. But let's just say there was a conditional semi uh, stalemate in Britain and Britain and France went like, okay, we'll stop fighting, but um, you give me this and I give you that. And Britain said, you can have Malaya. <laughs> and so so what if oh. we were suddenly, Malaysia was colonized by the French?
0: Hmm.
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, like English probably wasn't all that rooted anyway. It would have dissolved and, and French would be. Today, you'd have people talking a mixture of all the Malaysian languages and, and French. I mean, you can imagine going two guys at the street talking like, "Iku tak tahu lah. I want to talk to him. Tiba tiba aku S P D S kali. Betul lah. Alamatnya betul lah, kan? You know, English, French, you know, Malay, you know, Cantonese, you know, Tamil. It will be really interesting. For one thing, we'd have the, the fusion of food would be even more amazing. We'd be much more fashionable
0: nasi de lemak
2: we'd have better bread for a start <laughs> yes. yeah
0: well yeah well, in vietnam they have this thing uh is it banh mi it's called which is a yeah, which is a baguette with kind yeah. of pate and yeah. stuff and it's really nice wow
2: yeah. yeah yeah we'd have stuff like that for sure yeah that's the jokey version i mean if you guys Cam is well, a, a, a history buff as you all know what mm. else do you think could, could happen if friend, the french were in charge. You know, we would, have would a vietnam War, you think
0: you know I, I would say yeah i'd say that if, if you look at uh, the way that france ended its colonial experiences pretty much all of them were ended with war and pretty nasty it's wars pretty as violent, well right? yeah. Yeah. yeah i would say like Algeria like Indochina and indeed parts of africa uh, yeah it, it pretty pretty could be pretty nasty I and mean, it wouldn't have been that much fun to live under the French?
1: i think the British were more prone to Transferring cultures of people from one place to another, the French kept more to the to a monoculture in the in the countries they colonized, for example, Vietnam. Yeah, I they did. They did
0: promote stupid. the primacy of French culture. Okay, so uh, that's an interesting one, though. Uh, but but, Mikey, yes. do you have a do you have a what if?
1: I do actually, and it's actually, I had a couple of serious topics relating to this, but then I realized let's not go serious
0: No, go serious. I wasn't. <laughs> Don't listen to <laughs> Nah.
2: <laughs> it relates to this. i just instigated with no ideas i've been a, i've been a bit uh
1: sad recently over the state of art uh, you know the, the arts scene in malaysia with the, the mpo yes. up finally yeah. after many years and look yeah. at the state of local theater etc so i was just thinking if i could actually go back no this will be a little bit, a bit far up please work with me on this one if i could go back and Freeze the Malaysian art scene at a particular time and just suddenly take my 100 million US dollars, and throw it into funding <laughs> it. What would our art scene look like? No, I'm sorry. No, it's Cam, a shared you, universe
2: you, now. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I'm sorry, Cam. You, you, you'd be a little bit poorer and so no, now, but.
0: I'd still skim some off the top. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'd get a contract.
1: Um, wow, this. Check it out again.
0: Okay, 100 million dollars.
2: At, at which point do you say um, in history, would benefit the industry. I mean, we had studios for films, we had pretty decent music industry because RTM1 and all that, and there was a Mm. lot of music, uh, people being nurtured to do music for radio and stuff like that. But at which point do you think would be best to put in, to to pump in all that money? I mean, I've always (laughs) thought that it would take the private sector to Mm. actually seriously think of music, theatre, movies, television as an industry and as an investment in order for it to really grow completely depending on grants and governments, it, it just won't go so far. So where, yeah. where do you think you would, you would pump in your money? At which point in so, history? So
1: somewhere in the 90s, if my memory serves me correctly, this is when the NPO was formed as well. So somewhere around the, the mid-90s to late 90s, Malaysia was transitioning into a wealthier country and wanted to grow and grow the scene. So this is the area that I would focus on, and just say, okay, let's freeze (laughs) it here. Let's throw a hundred million US dollars
0: at it. I think what you're also kind of saying is because in in the '90s you had like eight years of eight percent growth per per annum, and something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's extraordinary. It was a crazy, crazy time, and we thought it would never end, but it did. And so kind of like what you're saying is that it didn't end; (laughs) that (laughs) growth just kept going, going.
1: Let's, let, let's just wish that, it, okay, it ended with the Asian financial crisis. So if you actually wanted me to change history, that I probably would have just taken the, 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 the Asian financial crisis out of, the, uh, out of the game. And maybe, just
2: maybe, our oh, scene could have looked very different.
0: Yeah. But maybe yeah.
2: not, you know, because you know how they always say that Hollywood thrived during World War II and the Depression and all that, because people needed entertainment.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: if if there was 100 million, there was somebody, let's like, say, with foresight, like, like your fantasy version of yourself with 100 million bucks and you had built up more cinemas, local, um, local theatre productions, big and small, um, lots of places for music, little concerts and stuff like that, I think it would have still survived. It would have, but you have to monetize it um, mm. uh, well and it becomes something that all over Malaysia, it becomes a normal thing for even a somewhere in the middle of nowhere to actually, you know, once every month go out and watch a little concert or a little play you know um, mm. yes. then, then, then it, it 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 even in a in economic depression entertainment always seems to survive if it's already uh, a viable industry if it's if it's mm. half then then it's, it, it just dies along with everything else because it depends on government money depends on you know yeah.
0: that kind of thing yeah. yeah. Well, uh, of course in the 90s me and Nat are writing for Instant Cafe so we could have been rolling in money with Mikey's money if, I didn't, <laughs> if only, if only we'd known him then <laughs> I, uh, My changing oh, one yeah. thing is, um, is different uh, Mine would be a bank When the Europeans arrived in Southeast Asia, if Southeast Asia already had a bank <laughs> be it a central Ooh. bank or a bank of any other kind then the history of the world would be completely different in fact, if um, Southeast Asia, with all its trading, had had banks before then, then you would have seen travel going the other way into Europe, people turning up there, and, and you would have seen imperialism going in that direction. Silver was was a currency, but mm. um, and Chinese traders would, would, would only take silver, but um, China itself did not produce a silver coin. So the traders were using an ad hoc, you know, bits of silver that they could find from Japan or what have you. So there was no, there was no currency. And so you couldn't, you couldn't invest, you couldn't reinvest, you couldn't invest your notional money in someone else's enterprise. Instead, you had to either bury your money or spend it on the spot. And that's why, for instance, Malay fellas would always have big entourages because that was a way to express your wealth and to actually, to actually spend your money. I mean, there was no money, so you can't say spend your money. (laughs) That was that. Uh, And so the word bank is from the Italian because the uh, Italian traders used to sit on benches, banco, and they would trade money. So yeah, that would be the thing that I would change. Make a bank, but no one ever did. It's not because they were stupid. No, the whole system of trade worked perfectly fine without any need for any bank. Uh, And the Europeans turned up and they wanted to sell goods that nobody in Asia wanted, like wool. Who the hell wants wool? And so they, they literally had to take it. They had to take they had to take porcelain they had to take silk they had to take mm. all these things so so that's my that's my change
2: i mean you can't even you can't even do a bank heist movie without a bank yeah so, exactly. so what will we spend 100 million on exactly i
1: mean killing a couple of chickens is not going to actually sell a movie uh well, i might <laughs> yeah it's Johansson.
0: i've got i've got to <laughs>
2: Can I, tempt, can I tempt you, can can I tempt tempt you, you with that? And <laughs> <laughs> We've changed the world in in in, in we we really have, minutes. yeah. That,
1: that, that's really interesting, Cam. I mean, you know, I work for the Morning Run, right? So it's <laughs> right up my alley. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's not so much not having a bank, but not having a centralized financial system with financiers, a means of actually channeling. Creating money and actually channeling it to uh, you know uh, you know to people—that's what you're talking about. And you're right. I, th- I agree with you. If you had that, Southeast Asia would be very very different. It would be um,
0: yeah, because so- because Europe had in Amsterdam and in Milan and mm. all these places, they had what we would call capitalism, what we would now mm. define as capitalism. East of the Suez Canal, <laughs> well, it didn't exist then. But in Southeast Asia, operating on a system that wasn't exactly capitalism as it is understood mm. to be now, you would have walked into a marketplace and sort of said, oh, this is capitalism, but actually it didn't have many of the mechanics uh, that, yeah. that are required to make capitalism work. So it, it, it
2: was The only the, people who had, who had, who had um, hordes of money were yeah. maybe royals and institution. They were just mm. individuals. So, but also, you know, they,
0: what did it mean to have hordes of money? I mean, that was, you know, you could have mm. a ton of silver and because silver, I mean, coins now are sort of notional wealth. Backed yeah. by a central bank. There in those times, the actual silver itself actual, yeah. was the value. But but you know, it could have a value, have a sense of a value here in, in Malacca, say. But you go across to uh, India, it would have a different sense of value. So anyway, so that's mine. So we yeah, as I said, we've changed we've changed things. We've changed Malaysia, we've changed yeah. the history. All fueled by Mikey's hundred million What
2: if I'm-
0: yeah,
2: but <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I would like to pitch really um that BFM do a new show just simply called What If? Yeah, that'd be cool. Every week, What If? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: just... but Mikey always has great ideas. So um brings us to the final part of the show, uh our recommendations where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Mikey goes first.
1: Okay, <clears throat> my recommendations uh, inspired by Na, who came up with this uh, uh, changing history and uh, thing, which I and really and got into. I'm going to recommend a series of books which I've read. Uh, many years ago it's called uh, the excess of time raised by john birmingham and it centers around a fleet of naval warships uh, that actually go back in time to world war ii oh wow um you know and through the use of technology and also not just the the, the and the technology but the notion and the uh, notions of history and cultural mores, and they actually changed the direction of that era forever now what's interesting is that it's not just Americans go back and help the Americans beat up on the Japanese and the Germans. The Japanese ship actually goes back in mm. time and have to decide whether he actually wants to side with Imperial Japan or, you know. So, um,
2: what what, what, the, uh, what the book's called again? Nikki, <coughs> sorry. They're called they're the Access of time. of time.
0: That's cool. That's, cool. So that's my
2: recommendation. All history. Yeah,
0: um, yeah.
1: I share the same passion as you guys on it.
0: Yeah, uh, that sounds really cool. Uh, so, oh, so it's me next. Um, so, uh, my recommendation is um, is brand new though. My recommendation is a place called Fraser's Hill. <laughs>
2: Ooh, yeah, ooh. it's it's up in the hills. Legit new. Yeah, <laughs> yeah legit yeah. new.
1: 1885, <laughs> well, uh,
0: maybe. Yeah, yes, yeah. And uh, no, I went there, I went there uh, the other day, actually. I, I had to go up there to do something very quickly, and then I came back down again. But whilst I was there, so the aspect that I want to recommend, actually, is if you, have, you you do go up to Fraser's Hill, and people don't really go up there that, that much these days, but, I, but it's going to be mm. packed now that interstate travel is um, allowed. Yeah. Um, mm. But it's to take the jungle trails the Mm -hmm. trails up there are really good and of course the temperature is nice and cool i went when the ground was very dry so i didn't get any leeches um but you know you might get a leech but you know don't panic it's Uh, part of the fun yeah Yeah, it is although i do have a a leech bite from like 30 years ago which has never gone down and it it destroyed my supermodel career (laughs) (laughs) like on the spot like get out of here (laughs) <laughs> you've got a leech bite in your leg.
2: Yeah, you can't do those Adidas commercials anymore. No way. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: um, so yeah. No, I mean, the jungle trails up there—they're they're, really—they're good. They're well maintained, but they're not—they're not kind of just concreted over. I mean, they're challenging, mm. and you got to take it careful. You've got to have good footwear and everything. And it's um, it's really great. And they're like gibbons howling over there, much like my cat is howling in the background. Actually, <laughs> I'm sure you can hear it.
1: <laughs> can you? Well, that's fun, Cam. Uh, because I actually like hiking. But just a question are the trails well marked
0: out yeah they are they, they they are insofar as as i say they're not cemented over but it's very clear that, that this bit is earthy trail and and the bit right next to it is jungle so you shouldn't do a, a jim thompson and uh, disappear and, and older you listeners off, yeah might, might know who i'm talking about there um <laughs> so it, no, it's, it's just really great and the weather's so great and everything and it's uh, but yeah if, if it is wet you you are going to pick up leeches
2: I think um, urbanites, KLites, really need our jungle tracks and yeah. just to be out there with nature.
0: So, Nah, uh, uh, no. what's um, your recommendation? My recommendation,
2: right? Yeah. Well, mine is uh, kind of inspired by, by Cam, when, when you first said moving cities. Um, <laughs> you know, I took it very literally. And um, so I'd like to recommend books about actual moving cities tens of thousands of years in the future. And it's the Mortal Engines Quartet. By Philip Reeve. You might just read anything by Philip Reeve. He he's a science fiction writer, fantasy science fiction writer, but he, he he writes for the whole family in a sense. He he refuses to call himself a young adult, right? So it's very easy read, and even though they are grim parts, it's not all glo- doom and gloom type of science fiction. You know, uh, there's a lot of hope and um, there's a lot of humor. And mm-hmm. and Mortal Engines is literally about the time when cities start to move and consume other cities. Nice nice little metaphor there yeah. eh? and, and it's very mm. exciting it's a lot of fun imagine all of london being on this huge platform and rolling about in huge wheels across the, the devastation that once was europe and fighting other cities it's, it's it's a lot of fun it's called the mortal engines quartet
0: yeah that, that is a much more fun idea than than my moving cities one and
2: <laughs> uh, but
0: it, it was a movie was it a good movie
2: uh, it wasn't a very good movie. It was a decent movie, but it's a very good book. And yeah. it would cost about hundred million. So there, it's connected again. If, yes. You know, if you had that hundred million, we could do a story about you know, Collarly piss, you know, moving and attacking other cities. That'd be quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the Poyang muscles. <laughs> <laughs> To
0: yeah. Guns, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, well, that brings us then to the end of uh, this week's show. Uh, it only remains now for me and Na'a to beat up uh, Mikey Gong and steal his hundred million US dollars. And uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's yours. We've, we've oh, you,
0: you're just going to give it anyway. Okay, no problem. Didn't give it. No need to beat you up. <laughs> yep. And so uh, thank you to Naa Murad
2: You're welcome, and thank you for having me on.
0: And uh, thank you to Mikey Gong.
2: Thanks for having me on. Kevin, it was fun
0: not just fun we've actually changed we've changed the history of we've changed Wolf, sorry. yeah we've changed so anyway so, and, and myself Cam Raslan, and so thank you very much for, uh, for joining us and please join us next week for another exciting episode of a bit of culture here on bfm 89.9 thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my
2: or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station